in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was dark, and it was formless, and it was empty. But the Spirit of God, the breath of God, was hovering over the waters, holding everything into place. And then the God who held chaos and order by the power of His breath, by the power of His Spirit, began to speak. And as He spoke, creation began to respond. And so God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God began to name things. And He called the light day. And He called the dark night. And then the Bible tells us that there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God began to separate creation. It says he took the waters and separated them from the waters, that he took the sky and he pulled it out of the sea. And he named the upper expanse the sky. And he called the lower the sea. And there was evening and there was morning, another day. And then God spoke and said, let dry ground come up out of the sea. And he pulled back the sea, this uncontrollable force of nature. And with the power of his word, he pulled back the sea and dry land became exposed. And God called the dry land earth and it sat in the midst of the sea. And there was evening and there was morning. And each of these things as they came along were good. And God declared them to be that way. And after God had formed his creation, he began to fill it with stuff. And so in the sky, he hung the stars and he hung the sun and the moon. And it was their purpose to govern out the days. And the sun regulated the light and the the moon reflected its glory. And God saw this that he filled the skies with, that he filled the heavens with. And he said that it was good and there was evening and there was morning. And then God filled the sky with, with birds and flying creatures. And inside the sea, he filled it with fish and other creatures that would swim through the deeps. And he looked at it, and he saw that it was good. And there was morning, and there was evening. And then God began to fill the land. He said, let the land bring forth all of these creatures. All of these things that are going to crawl around on the ground. And each one of them is going to create more of them. And they're going to be made after their own image. And that was really good. But God still had one more thing to create. And God looked at all that he had and he saw that it was good, but it was missing something. He said, now I'm going to create humanity. And God said that that I'm going to create humanity in our image. The Bible says that in the image of God, he created them male and female. In his own image, he created humanity. And God looked at all that he had made and said that it was very good. But then Genesis tells us that God rested. What does that mean? Does it mean that God set everything in motion and started it spinning and then stepped away because he was finished with the work that he was doing? No. John Walton, an Old Testament scholar, points out that the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 reflects the building of a temple in the ancient world. He says that God was building for himself out of the heavens and the earth this temple in which he was going to dwell and he was going to fill with people and creatures to worship him and bring him honor and glory. And when the ancient people would build a temple, there was all this work going into constructing the building itself. 
They would put up the walls and they would put the windows where they were supposed to go and the doorways where they were supposed to go and they would form the temple and then they would fill it with the objects that needed to be inside of it. And then once the temple was finally ready, once it was finally complete, Walton says that the priests would go inside and they would rest from their work of building and they would do that by beginning their work as priests. And so what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 when God rests is not the end of God's work. It's not even the end of God's creative work. It was God resting from the work of putting the earth exactly like it needed to be so that he could begin the work of bringing about his plan of redemption in the world. And so his creativity never stops and never ceases. And we see that through the entire scope of the Old Testament. The creativity of God and the theme of creation echoes throughout the entire scope of the Old Testament story, and they begin to lay the groundwork for what the New Testament calls new creation. A perfect creation. The finished work of a creative God that would one day be initiated by and then completed through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do today a lot like what we did last week and what we'll be doing for the next several weeks. Instead of looking at one particular passage of Scripture and breaking it apart, as is our custom, we're going to look at the entire scope of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at several passages of Scripture today that deal with the creativity of God, the creative power of God, and then what that creativity means for God's people. We're going to take a quick stroll through the Old Testament and see how God uses his story to reveal himself to us as a creator and to see what that teaches us about his creation. And so we'll begin with and we'll let everything be kicked off by Psalm chapter 33, verses 6 through 9. And this is God's word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breadth of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts them, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the creativity inside of Scripture. God, we thank you that you are a creative God who is not rested from your work of creation, but that we can see your creativity and your beauty in every moment of every day. And so God, as we scan through the big story of the Old Testament, help us to see how amazing you are, how powerful you are, how strong you are, but God, also how beautiful you are. And help us to recognize the importance of creativity and creation in our world and help us to be image bearers of you, to reflect that by being creators of good things and bringing about beauty in the world that you've given us. And so, Father, speak through your story. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. One of the first things that we see as we look from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the end of the Old Testament, 
when it comes to God's creativity and God as a creator. One of the most important things that jumps off the pages is that nothing is made without God. That there is nothing in existence, there is nothing that has ever been that was not made without the direct guidance of God himself. And we see that in Psalm chapter 33. Psalm 33 is an incredible psalm. It's a psalm of celebration. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And it's a psalm of awe. And so why is the psalmist calling the people to these emotions? Why is the psalmist calling the people to be in awe of what God is doing? Why should they be thankful? Why should they be worshiping and celebrating God? Because he tells them to sing a new song in verse 3 and to play skillfully on the strings and to make music for God, to give thanks to God with everything that you have. And the reason for that, that the psalmist gives, is that God is creator, that God spoke and it came to be. And it there is everything that has ever been and everything that ever will be. And because of that, the psalmist understands and is trying to relate to the people who would be using this in worship that God is worthy of our honor and praise because He is the Creator of all things. That everything that we have, even our own selves, find its beginning in God. As we look through verses 6-9, through the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. And we think about the heavens and space and what our universe is. It seems so exhaustingly big and so unfathomably expansive. And yet the psalmist says, just by the breath of God, just by his words, echoing that same truth from Genesis chapter 1, that God spoke and that through his breath, everything that exists came into being and it was nothing for him. And that he holds all of those things in the palm of his hands. Verse 7 says that he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and he puts the deeps in storehouses. And in the ancient world, the seas were not something to be trifled with. The sea, the oceans, the waters were uncontrollable forces that we just had to, to hope for the best and pray for the best because once you're on the sea, you're at the mercy of the sea and there's no way to control it and there's no way to harness it. And yet the writer of the Psalms here says that everything that causes us fear, these seas that are so uncontrollable and seemingly so beyond our containment, God takes those things and he gathers them exactly where they're supposed to go and he holds them in their place. Verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord and let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. He says, Look what God has done. Look what God is continuing to do. Look at the creative power of God and the fact that nothing was made without Him. And because of that, be in awe of everything that you see. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. When we look at the repetition of the Psalms, and as we've spoken about several times before, in the ancient Hebrew, these acts of repetition showed not only artistry, this wasn't the way that they wrote poetry alone, but it was also the way that they would show emphasis on things. And so by repeating this idea that it was out of the word of God that the heavens were made, that he spoke and it came to be, is showing us how important this message really is. 
And if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, which is also written in the style of an ancient Hebrew poem, we see that repetition over and over and over again that God created, that God created, that God spoke and it came to be over and over and over again. The Bible from Genesis and now into Psalms is telling us that it is a really big deal that God created everything. We can start to feel like when we see all this repetition that maybe this is something that we should take notice of. In the big story of the Old Testament, God is not simply revealed as a creator, but as the creator of all things. In day two and three of God's creation, we see God putting everything into place in Genesis chapter one. That God is creating all of the material things that exist. Everything on the earth, everything below the earth, and everything above the earth. The entire universe is His design and His plan and His purpose. And nothing material came into existence without God. The psalmist again said that He spoke and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. But it's not just the material things in our world that God created. Think about day four in the book of Genesis, when God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And the writer of Genesis tells us that the purpose of the sun and the moon and the stars is to mark out the seasons and the days. That it's their job to help us understand when a day begins and when a day ends. When a week begins and when a week ends. And when seasons come and change, it's all governed by these creature kings that God put in their place. And before that, time didn't exist. God existed beyond time and space. And so it wasn't until this moment in Genesis chapter 1 when God breathed life into the universe and lit it up through the stars and the sky and the sun as it moved around and the, the people would watch the sun measure out the days that time became a thing. And we see that again echoed in Exodus chapter 20. That not only did God give us time, not only did God create time, but that He has a purpose and a design and a plan for it. Because in Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, God tells the people to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And the reason for that is because the writer of Exodus says that God worked six days and then rested on the seventh. And so for us, our design and our purpose is to work six days and then rest on the seventh as well. And so God created space, God created time, but then God also gave purpose to those things. But then Psalm 118 narrows it down even further. Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And what's amazing about those psalms is that they were designed for public worship. The psalms weren't designed to be used once and then never to be used again. And so the writer of the psalms wasn't saying that that particular day that he happened to be writing that psalm was a day that the Lord had made and that day was worthy of honor and praise because God had made it but it's designed to be used every day, to bring the people's attention to the fact that every day that we have, that every moment that we have belongs to God and was created by God and was given to us by God. And if you were here a few months ago when we were looking through the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, we realized exactly how important these were in the life of the worship of the people of Israel. 
that these were the psalms that they would sing during the Passover meal as they remembered God's salvation of their ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. These were the psalms that Jesus and his disciples sang at the Last Supper before Christ went on to be betrayed and beaten and crucified and bringing about Easter Sunday when he raised from the dead. And so the writer of Psalms is telling us that every single day, the days that seem very important and very predominant are the days that the Lord has made and we should rejoice and be glad in them. But as Lydia said, on those mundane days where things seem very overcast and dreary, the days that don't seem to be worth very much, those are also days that the Lord has made and we should rejoice and be glad in them. In the book of Lamentations, In the midst of all the sadness and sorrow of that book, we see this one little phrase pop up that tells us that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. That His creative power and beauty and mercy and grace is given to us every single day. And because of that, it's cause to rejoice. But then on day six of creation... God brings about the climax of His creation when He breathes life into humanity. And He creates people. and says that He created them male and female in His own image. And in the image of God, He created them. Again, this repetition showing how important it is to recognize that people, all people, every single person that's ever drawn breath was created in the image of the loving, compassionate, and creative God. But again, the book of Psalms narrows that down even further. In Psalm 139, 13-14, speaking to God, the psalmist says, You formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. The psalmist recognizes Not only did God create the heavens and the expanses of space in our universe, not only did God create our world and all the things that fill it, not only did God create humanity as this big blanket ideological concept, but God created me. That each and every one of us are careful designs and careful creations of a careful creator who loves us and intimately knits us together inside of our mother's wombs using the processes of biology and all the things that take place to bring about each and every human life. We see that God is a creator on a big level, on the macro level. But God is also a creator on the intimate and personal level. The same God who hung the stars in the sky also put each and every one of us together the way that we are to be who we are. As we look through the Old Testament, we find that God isn't simply a character in the story. That He is the author of the story. That He is the uncreated creator and nothing was made apart from Him. The declaration of creation in God's word is a call for God's people. A call for God's creation to see him as the source of everything. And as we see him for who he is, to worship him like we believe it to be true. Like the psalmist said in chapter 33, to stand in awe of God. 
for all the inhabitants of the world to fear the Lord and stand in awe of him because he spoke and it came to be. To worship God with everything that we have and in every moment of our lives because long before we took a breath, God was creating and moving and he created all things and nothing was created apart from him. And because of that, he's worthy of worship and honor and praise. And then as the Old Testament story continues telling us about God's creation, it not only teaches us that nothing was made without God, but the writers of the Old Testament used God's creative power to show us God's strength through his creation. The book of Job is a very difficult book. It's troublesome for us now, but it was especially troublesome for the people in the culture in which it was written. Because the book of Job teaches us a very uncomfortable truth that sometimes bad things happen to seemingly good people. And the book of Job asks a lot of questions that it seems to answer very poorly. In the book of Job, Job has had everything taken away from him. Not by anything of his own doing, but simply because. And Job has all of these friends. Some of them seem to be fairly well-meaning. And they come to Job with the mentality of their day and with really the mentality of ours too, saying, listen, if all of this bad stuff is happening to you, then you must be doing something wrong. If all of this has been taken away, you must have angered God. And if you would just fix whatever the problem is, you could probably have it back. And through most of the book, Through 30-something chapters of the book, Job seems to be remaining strong and steadfast. And finally, Job gets to the point where he just can't take it anymore. And he comes to God and he says, if you would just tell me what I did. If you would just tell me, I, I thought I've been doing really well, but apparently I'm not. And so if you would just tell me what I did wrong. If you would just show my sins to me and tell me how I can fix this, then I will repent and I will never do it again. But I really need this to stop. I need my life to stop falling apart. And so if you just show me what to do, I'll do it. If you just tell me where I went wrong, I'll correct it. And then a few chapters later, God speaks. And I would venture to say it's not what Job was imagining. God starts with a challenge, which is really intimidating. And in Job chapter 38, in verse 2, he says, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. (laughs) It's not going to be good for Job. So God comes to him, he says, Who are you coming and talking to me that way? Who do you think you are asking me these questions? If you think that you have all the answers to how all of this works, let me ask you some questions. Let me give you my response. And he says things like this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or what laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? 
He keeps talking, saying, Or who shut the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb, and when I made clouds its garment, and the thick darkness its swaddling bands? Later on in the chapter, he says, From whose womb did the ice come forth? Who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters became hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. And then he zooms out a little bit in verse 31. He says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? And so there he's talking about these constellations. And so he looks at Job and he says, where do you think I've been all this time? Who do you think you're talking to? Don't you remember that it was me who stretched out the earth and decided how it would look and where would it go? Don't you remember that it was me that held the seas exactly where they needed to be? Don't you remember that it was me that not only hung the stars in the sky, but put little designs there for you to look at and be in awe? The answer to Job's question was not, this is what you do and this is how you fix it. The answer to Job's question is, this is who I am. And because of that, you can trust me. And that's a really frustrating answer, I feel like. At least it would be for me. But Job got it. Because after a couple chapters of God or just bringing all of this down on Job, Job just says, I was wrong. I love Job's initial response in chapter 40. He says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job basically says, you're right. He says, God, I know in chapter 42 that you can do all things and no purpose of yours would be thwarted. Basically, Job's response is, I understand now who you are. And if you're strong enough to create the heavens and the earth, if you're strong enough to draw constellations in the sky, if you're strong enough to hold the waters in their place, then you are strong enough to be trusted when I don't understand what's happening. You're strong enough to be trusted when life doesn't make sense. And so however you feel like using my life, use it that way and I will trust you in the good and in the bad. And the understandable and the incomprehensible, I know that you hold all things in the palm of your hand now and you don't make any mistakes. And so if this is my lot, if this is what I'm going through right now, then so be it because I trust you because I know that you are strong enough to do all things. The book of Job isn't the only place where we see these constellations come into existence or in, come into the scripture. In Amos chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, the prophet said, He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness the day into night, who calls the water from the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that the destruction comes up from the fortress. 
Amos continues in chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, and repeats that same idea, saying, The Lord God of hosts, He touches the earth, and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds His upper chambers in the heavens and founds His vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is His name. The book of Job and the book of Amos and other places in Scripture show us the power of God through creation. That God is not only strong enough to do what He said in Genesis 1 and hang the stars in the sky, but He organized them in a way and He drew pictures with them. These stars that again are seemingly uncontrollable and unfathomably large and hot and these forces of nature that we can't imagine wrestling with, God takes them and He draws pictures in the sky. And Amos and Job point us to a God who can do all things. But there's also more to catch in the book of Amos. Because I think we can often live as closet deists. Deism is the idea that God built the world, set it spinning, put all of its processes in order, and then took his hands away and has no interaction at all. And it can be easy for us to forget that that's not how God works. We can think that God has set everything up and now we're just living out the story and God is watching off from a distance. But Amos reminds us that God's hand is involved in everyday processes of what we see in nature. Amos reminds us that God is still creating. He says in that chapter, in chapter 9, that he causes the things of the world to rise like the Nile and sink again. That he is continuously building the upper chambers in the heavens and founding his vaults on the earth. And he's calling the waters of the sea and pours them out onto the surfaces of the earth. That every tide and every movement in the world is governed and created and intricately put where it should be by God. That the God who spoke light into dark in Genesis chapter 1 is still creating, pulling flowers out of the fields and calling waters from the seas. And all of that sounds exhausting. He's been doing this for so long, keeping everything moving just like it should be. And to me, that seems very tiresome. But not for God. Isaiah chapter 40 says, what do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Then he continues. says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah tells us that God, day after day after day, continues his creative work. He continues to hold everything in its exact place and he does so without ever growing weary and without ever growing tired. 
that he is an everlasting God, the everlasting creator of the ends of the earth, and that is not enough to make God even grow the slightest bit weak. But what's even more amazing than that is that not only does God have enough strength to keep everything in its place and to keep everything moving and growing, and not only does God have the strength to be a continuous creator from yesterday to today to forevermore, but that God has enough strength and enough power to give some away. Isaiah tells us that the power of the creative God is the hope of his people. That the God who created all things is also the God who bends down to meet us when we're weak. And Isaiah says, listen, young people can still grow tired. And older people can grow exhausted. But God is never growing weary or tired. And he takes us in our moments of tiredness, in our moments of weakness, and in our moments of brokenness. And he uses that creative power to pick us up and to give us strength when we don't have any on our own. Again, the Psalms teach us a very important thing about prayer. In Psalm 121.2, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist knew when I have nowhere else to look, when I'm in a time of need and when I need help and I can't find help anywhere around me, I know that I can look up to God who created heavens and the earth and the God who has enough power to speak creation into existence certainly has enough power to help me in my time of need. The creative power of God gives hope and peace and strength to his weary and tired children. The theme of creation throughout God's story declares a comforting truth to all who read it. That the God who is strong enough to speak worlds into existence and lasso stars into their place is strong enough to hold His children in their moments of fear and shame and weakness. God's story calls us to look to the strength of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and to find our peace and our rest and our strength. So nothing was created or made without God. We see God's strength in His creation. But then we see something amazing, even in light of all we've seen. The Old Testament story teaches us that people, that humanity, are created creators. That we are created to be involved in God's work of creation. In the ancient myths of, of old religions, you often found people experiencing the need to steal from the gods. That the gods were so stingy with their power and their divinity and their, even their creative power that in ancient Greece you had to have Prometheus who snuck in the back door to steal fire from the gods. In religions all over the world and all throughout time, you have these stories very similar to that, where people or animals would sneak into the dominion of the gods and steal away their gifts so that people could partake in them. But in Scripture, we see something very different. We see a God radically foreign to all the ancient myths and religions. We see a God who not only gives gifts, 
not only gives us things that we need, but also allows us to be co-creators with him in everything that he's doing. In Genesis chapter 1, after God created humanity, the very first commandment that he gave them was to be creative. He said, listen, be fruitful and multiply. Go make more of you. Procreate. Make something new and fill the earth with your creation. And then he called them to work the land and to have dominion over the land and to help the land to grow and to continue God's work of creation everywhere they found themselves. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 13, as the people are coming into the promised land, their new garden of Eden, so to speak, God says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you hadn't built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you didn't plant. But that wasn't where the story stopped. Because we know that God brought the people into the promised land, not so they could simply sit back and enjoy someone else's creation, but so they could come in and continue the work of creation in the land. That They would continue cultivating the land and bringing about new crops. And so whether it was the Garden of Eden or the promised land, it's the same commandment. That this isn't your creation, but it's yours now. And so get busy building. In Genesis 1, God builds a temple. And then sometime later, he calls Solomon, the son of David, to return the favor. He calls Solomon to build this temple where the people of God would come and to worship God. And he gives him all the measurements and everything that he needs, but he tells him it's your job to put this into place. It's your hands and the hands of your people that are going to build this temple in the midst of the temple that I built for you. And we see the ark in Scripture. In fact, both of them. When Noah was building his ark, God gave him the dimensions and the instructions how he should build it, but it was Noah's hands that put it together. When God instructed the people to build the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would dwell with them, He told them exactly what it needed to look like and how they needed to build it, but they had to find the materials and put it together. They were co-creators with God. Even Scripture itself is a testament to God's call for people to be co-creators. As we've seen, God is the ultimate author of Scripture and that He breathes His life into the words. But God has used human authors to compile His Scripture. He's used the stories and the lives and the words and even the styles of these human people, these flawed and broken people who wrote down the Word of God. He used them and their creativity to express His own. And that's how inside of Scripture we have a book that is at the same time incredibly divine, but also very approachable for us as people, showing us not only the, the flaws and blemishes of the lives of the people that God used to wrote his, write a story, but also showing us the emotion and the intention that the people had as they sat down through the inspiration of God to write his word. The story of God's creativity reminds us that he has made for himself a creative people. Here we see a God who gifts and equips his people to participate in his work of creation and to carry with him the narrative of beauty and design as artists, as storytellers, as builders, and as doers. And you might not feel like a particularly creative person, but God has gifted you with the ability to do something. 
As we looked at in the book of Ephesians, God has equipped all of us through Christ to be his ambassadors and to do his good work. And so when we do the work of God, whether that's in painting a picture or going and serving on the mission field or making breakfast for church or whatever things we find ourselves doing, we are co-creators with God doing his work for his glory. The theme of creation reminds us that we are not only a part of God's story, but that we have a role in God's story and one that we should take very seriously. In our community groups this week, we looked at the, the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, where Paul tells us that God saved us through Christ so that we could walk in the good works that he had for us before the foundations of the world, because before we ever drew a breath, God had designed us to be co-creators with him and his big story. The big story of the Bible is a story of creation, of a creative God and his creative creations and how he is saving them and moving them by the power of his might. And so we should read God's word looking for creativity, looking for beauty, looking to see his strength. And all the while remembering that the same creative God of Genesis chapter 1 is still hovering over the waters is still bringing something out of nothing and through Christ is bringing life out of death and will one day bring new creation out of the old. Where through Christ's death and resurrection and then through his return, Jesus will come back to take all of the brokenness that we've brought into creation through sin and to wipe that away. And God's people who have been saved by God's grace will be with Christ in his new creation in perfection for all of eternity. And so let's be people who recognize the creativity and the power of our creator God. Let's live as people who understand that God is creator, living with him as our Lord and our sovereign king, but also recognizing that in our time of need, that he is strong enough to give us help. And then to go out and to be co-creators with God through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, bringing life into death bringing something into nothing and showing the world a picture of something better that's coming. Father God, we thank you that you are good and that you are our creator. And Father, as we're about to come to the table and take communion, we're reminded of how you accomplished that. That to have us be co-creators, you had to be destroyed. To bring about life, you had to die. And that through Christ on the cross, through the brokenness of his body and the blood of his pierced hands and feet and side, you began the work of new creation. And then on that third day, you made it official as Christ rose from the dead. And you give us the hope that anyone who trusts in you who believes in you for salvation, who has been baptized into death with Christ, has been raised again, and that we have been made new, and that one day Christ will come to fix all of the brokenness in our world. But until then, God, we know that we have a purpose, and we have a design, and we have a plan that you have given us to be co-creators, to share in the work that you've given us, and so God, help us to answer that call because you are our God who created all things. 
Help us to have faith to be able to go out and to do that because you are strong enough to help us when we're weak, to lift us up when we're broken, and to keep us walking when we're tired. God, help us to be good worshipers of you because of who you are. And as we sing our songs, as we pray our prayers, as we study your word and see you revealed as this beautiful creator, God, help us to live like we believe that by going out and to be co-creators with you, doing the work that you've called us to do of sharing the gospel, of loving and caring for our neighbors, of bringing justice for widows and orphans and, and caring for those who are in need. Help us to reflect the goodness and the beauty of a creative God in every step that we take as your creations. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus.